Good morning. All right. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Iwakuni. Great to be here with you guys, as always. I'm looking forward to all that the Lord has in store for us this morning as we get into His Word and just allow His Word to speak to us. And so uh, excited about that. Today we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. Last week we started chapter 10 by looking at Jesus' sending of a group of some 70 disciples, two by two, in, uh, out into the places that he was about to travel to. In our study, we noted how Jesus had appointed each of these disciples. Okay? They had been set apart from the rest of the world for the work that Jesus had called them to. Not only were they appointed by Jesus, but we also noted how they were sent out by Jesus as ambassadors to the Lord. They were sent out to represent Jesus and to work with the authority that had been granted to them by Jesus. Well, Jesus gave these 70 some final instructions before they headed out. He told them, first of all, to pray and then to go. They were to depend upon the Lord and His provision, not their own, and they were to be determined in their message to share the message of the kingdom of God coming near. And Jesus' final words to them before they left dealt with their responsibility to be faithful to that message. Whether or not people received it or not, the responsibility was not theirs to ensure that people believed the message, but simply that they were presented the message. And so uh, the rest was up to the Lord in His working. Well, our text this morning is going to pick up with the 70 returning from their mission, excited about the things that they were able to do for the Lord. Hopefully you were all there in Luke chapter 10 by now. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to please rise to your feet in honor of God and His Word. Our text this morning is going to be Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24, in a message that I've entitled, Joy in the Lord. Joy in the Lord. I'm going to read through the entirety of our text in my Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. I want to encourage you all to do your best to follow along in your own Bible. Luke continues his narrative account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ with the following in verse 17. It says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son, excuse me, no no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray and ask God's blessings upon our time as we go through it. Father, we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to open up your word and allow your word to mold us and to shape us, Lord, to allow your word to speak to us. 
And Lord, I do ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us in truth. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd be with me and empower me that I might bring forth your message with clarity. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be working in each and every one of our hearts, that we would all be ready to receive what, you're, what you, the Spirit of truth, has to say to us. Lord, we give you our lives. We give you our service. Lord, we give you this morning and uh, this time asking, uh, needing your presence and your leading and guiding. And so, Lord, go before us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. <clears throat> Got a little tickle in my throat this morning. I don't know what it is. Last week, we covered up until verse 16 with the final bit of instruction Jesus gave the 70 prior to their departure. And this week, our text picks up with the return of the 70. And so obviously, there is a time gap between verses 16 and verse 17, a time gap that would represent the time that it took for the 70 to go into the villages, the towns and the cities Jesus was going to be passing through and for them to share the message of the coming kingdom and to them um, to then subsequently return to Jesus. How long this time gap it was? Well, we can't say. The text really doesn't tell us. Maybe a few days or a few weeks, a month perhaps. We really don't know. What we do know is that the 70 were faithful to go and to do as the Lord had instructed them. They had completed the mission Christ had sent them out on, and they were returning with great joy. And a quick glance over our text this morning allows us to see how joy and rejoicing and joy in the Lord are a primary topic. Because the words joy and rejoice, they actually occur some four times in this text of only eight verses. And so it's clear to see through repetition that joy is a main theme that we're going to be looking at this morning. And so as we go through our text, we're going to note the various aspects of joy that the various people expressed. And hopefully we will come away with a greater understanding of our own joy and how it plays an important part in our walk with the Lord. Now, for those of you who like to uh, outline or uh, take notes, I want to let you know that we're going to break up our text into four small parts this morning, the first of which will come from verse 17, as we look at the 70 and the joy in their service, okay, the joy in their service. Take a look at verse 17 once again with me. It says, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Here we read this of the 70 returning from the mission Jesus had sent them on and how they were filled with joy. Jesus had sent these 70 out on a very dangerous mission. He sent them out as lambs amongst wolves, but all 70 returned. Okay? Not only did they return, but they returned with great joy. God had used them to have an impact upon advancing the kingdom of God. They went out proclaiming the coming kingdom and healing the sick as Jesus had instructed them. And God showed up in a powerful way, using them and providing for them and giving them opportunities to minister to all sorts of people in all sorts of various situations. But even on top of all of that, 
We see from verse 17 that they even were able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Now, I think this was something that probably came as a bit of a shock to some of the 70. Some of you might be like, why would you say that? Or why would you think that? Let me explain. When Jesus sent them out, he didn't say anything to them about casting out demons or having authority over the demonic realm. Okay, looking back up at our text from last week in verse 9, we see that Jesus sent them out to heal the sick, those who were ill, and presumably gave them power to do so. And he sent them out to share the message of the kingdom of God coming near. Those were the two things they were to do, to heal the sick, who were you know, ill, to proclaim the message of the coming kingdom. And so we see uh, nowhere was there mention of them casting out demons. And so I imagine as those 70 went out ministering the message of the kingdom of God and healing the sick, that they were taken back when they were able to heal those who had also been demon-possessed. And we see and understand their excitement and their enthusiasm over what they were able to do as they come back, proclaiming, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You never know what God is going to do in and through you as you make yourself available to be used by him. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about the power of Christ in us and how he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God is able to do so much more than what we think even possible. All we have to do is be available and yielded to His Spirit's working in our lives, and we will see Him do things that we never thought possible. These 70, they went out not knowing what lied ahead of them, not knowing exactly what to expect other than the fact that they were going out as lambs amongst wolves and that they needed to simply trust God to provide. And as they went in faith, God showed up and not only did what they were hoping, okay, providing for them and allowing them to heal the sick, but even on top of that, they were even able to cast out demons. You know, in my life, I've been walking with the Lord, serving the Lord for, uh, in ministry for about 20 years now. And I've seen like things like this happen over and over again. Not people necessarily casting out demons, but the idea of people going out thinking that they were going to do one thing, thinking that they were going to serve Jesus in a certain way, and then to come to find out God had so much more in store for them. Even times when we are somewhat reluctant to go and to serve the Lord, or perhaps a little hesitant, or not fully sure of ourselves, God has a way of showing up big time, doing way more in you and through you than you ever would have thought possible. You know, I've seen people over the years go out on missions trips, short-term mission trips, thinking that they are going to be uh, doing one thing. They're going to go, and oh, we're going to go, and we're going to bless these people, and we're going to minister to this community. And then God does something incredible in their heart and in their life, something far greater than what they ever envisioned they would be doing there. And God's touched their heart and the hearts of those they ministered to. You know, I've seen it in people who have stepped up to volunteer in some sort of church ministry or church service, perhaps a little hesitant at first, but stepping up and making themselves available and having God do a work they never would have dreamed of. You know, I recall as I was studying for this particular portion of Scripture, a family uh, back in Okinawa, 
They were an Air Force family. Okay? We won't hold that against them here. I know that's kind of, this crowd is not, you know, they're okay, all right? They love Jesus too, all right? All right, okay. So they were an Air Force family. They had been coming around pretty consistently, uh, and they were actually newer believers. They actually got saved at an Easter service that we held, and they just plugged in in regards to just coming regularly. And it was very exciting to have them uh, around. And, and so I approached them one day, and I asked them about serving in our children's ministry. And I wasn't sure of their callings or their giftings. I didn't know what their passions were. But I just saw a faithful couple that was coming regularly that needed a place to plug in. And so I came to them, and I asked them uh, to pray about serving in our children's ministry. At the time, I was serving uh, in various capacities down in Okinawa. And one of them was in children's ministry. And so I was like, hey... I need some extra help. You want to pray about coming alongside and helping? And so um, I remember the wife. She was uh, very hesitant, okay? Um, Honestly, she was terrified. (laughs) She was a new believer. She didn't feel like she was adequate enough to teach a kid's Bible lesson. I told her, hey, that's a great place to learn the Bible is is teaching kids Bible lessons. You're going to learn them right alongside them. You know, it's great. I told them to pray about it, and uh, actually the husband blurted out, yeah, we'll do that. And then the wife turned to the se- uh, husband and said, he said to pray about it. And so I said, okay, just go and, and pray about it and, and come back, and, and we'll talk about it. And so, you know, they went and, and they did that. They prayed, and, and they came back. Next time I, I saw them, they said they were going to give it a try, even though the wife was a bit petrified. You guys... She became one of the greatest Sunday school teachers I've ever seen, okay? She would come to lesson like fully prepared. She wanted to make sure that kids didn't ask her any questions that she didn't know. She was so new to this, so she would just study her Bible so much inside, outside. She knew the curriculum up and down. She would make themed snacks that went along with the Bible lesson, okay? I remember one time she brought this big mountain. It was like a honeycomb because she was talking about the... uh, Samson and the lion reaching into the lion's carcass and pulling out the honey. And she's like, I built this and it's got like bees on it. And it was like, it's like, that's amazing. She had games that went along with the Bible lesson and her and her husband, they team taught together. Okay. It was awesome to see them just thrive. Okay. Actually, parents were starting to hang out outside their classroom just to see what they would do next. Okay. It was that awesome. God used that family to pour into and to bless countless lives in ways they never would have even imagined. You guys, that family ended up retiring from the Air Force and are now missionaries serving the Lord full-time on the mission field. This family that was like, no, I can't do that. I can't teach a Bible lesson. You know, completely petrified, giving the dagger eyes to her husband because she said yes, um, God used far and far away uh, greater than what they would have ever imagined. God can do exceedingly abundantly more than what we could ever think or even dream of if we will just be available and faithful to answer the call to be used by him. The same joy the 70 had available to uh, them in serving the Lord is available to us as we answer the call to serve the Lord and be used by him to impact his kingdom. Well, let's continue to our next section. I said there'd be four sections. The first dealt with the 70 and the joy in their service. 
The second section deals with the 70 and the joy in their salvation. Okay, the joy in their salvation. Read with me verses 18 through 20. It says, And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We'll stop right there. Jesus sees the 70, the joy that they were experiencing, and he takes an opportunity to address them about an even greater joy. Jesus spoke to the 70, saying to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, in verse 18. Now, I have to be honest here. The interpretation of what exactly Jesus meant here is split amongst great Bible teachers and commentators uh, alike. There are a couple of different ways of looking at it, and I will try to break them down to you. One way to look at this is from a perspective of Jesus affirming the disciples and the victories they saw out on the mission field. That Jesus is saying in response to them, talking about demons being subject to them in his name, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. As if to say he was with them. And as they were going out, casting out demons, Satan was falling from his place of strength. As they effectively came against and combated Satan's forces, Jesus saw Satan falling from power. And some of the main support for this view comes down to the grammar that's being used here in the original Greek. The verb saw, when Jesus said, I saw Satan fall, is written in the imperfect tense. If you're not familiar with that, the imperfect tense is used to portray an action in process or a state of being that is occurring at that time but began in the past, and it has no assessment of the action's completion. It's something that began in the past and continues onward into the present, and so based upon the verb tense used, something Jesus is speaking of something that happened uh, in the past, but is continuing to happen into the future, into the present, in the future. As if Jesus were saying, I was watching Satan fall like lightning from heaven. As you guys were going out and you're casting out demons, I saw Satan falling over and over and over again. Okay? And, and I can understand that. I could see that perspective. It's possible that it's what Jesus was saying. We definitely are in a spiritual battle. And when we come against spiritual forces and when, when uh, God allows us to win victories against those spiritual forces, it no doubt has an impact upon Satan's power and influence upon the world. Another possibility, though, is that Jesus was not affirming them here, but was warning them. Warning them about getting too haughty or too boastful about what they were able to do. It was a warning against pride. And Jesus used Satan as an example. And so when Jesus refers to the fall of Satan like lightning from heaven, he's remembering the initial fall of Satan from heaven. There are various texts in the Bible that we believe describe the fall of Satan. Uh, One of them is in Isaiah chapter 14. It's believed to record uh, the fall of Satan. There Isaiah writes the following. He says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. 
Isaiah continues, says, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Satan went around pridefully saying, I will, I will, I will. And God basically said, doink, no, you won't. And, and cast the devil and a third of his angels out of heaven down uh, to this earth to uh, Sheol, the place of the dead. A text in the book of Ezekiel also speaks, um, seems to speak of the fall of Satan when describing the king of Tyre. It's said of, his crea- it's said of this created being that he was the seal of perfection. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was an anointed cherub. Okay? He had a special high-ranking position of authority amongst the angelic beings. And he had a place next to God on the mountain of God. He was perfect from the day he was created until iniquity was found in him. Ezekiel 28 verse 15 says. And it was because of his special place and his extraordinary beauty that he was lifted up with pride and it led to him rebelling against God and ultimately him falling from heaven. And so the idea here is that Jesus is warning the disciples about becoming prideful is using Satan as an example of what can happen when someone becomes too prideful and boastful in themselves. And I can see this as a possible interpretation as well. It could be easy for people to sometimes think they're something special when God uses them to impact his kingdom. You know, it can sometimes go to our heads. And we can begin to think that we're, you know, we're really something special, you know, and and we can allow pride to fill our hearts when we think that we are something special. And when we think God must have, you know, chosen us because we're so great or we're, you know, we were the prime candidate for the job. Of course, God chose me. Who else would he choose? And we allow that pride to to dwell and, and to build up within us. Beware. Watch out. Don't let that happen to you. Remember what Proverbs says about pride and a haughty spirit. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We need to be careful about allowing ourselves to fall into that trap of thinking that we are something special because God used us. Listen, God using us doesn't make us better than anyone else God may choose to use because it's not about us. And that could be the point that Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples here. Either way, we see in verse 19 that Jesus tells the disciples of the authority he gives them to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of all the enemy. And Jesus promises nothing shall by any means hurt them. Now, again, there is some discrepancy in grammar from different translations here that makes this difficult to interpret and understand what Jesus is saying. I'll try my best to explain. Some translations, like the New King James Version, which I'm reading from, they have the verb in verse 19 in the present tense. It says, I give you the authority. Uh, The present tense is used to describe something that's done in the present. You guys know that, right? (laughs) And, And so at that time, when Jesus was speaking to the 70, after they had returned, he gave to them this additional authority. Other translations, like the ESV, the NIV, the NASB, if you're reading from those translations, they actually have the verb in verse 19 written in the perfect tense. If you're not familiar with the perfect tense, it's used to describe a completed verbal action that occurred in the past, 
but which produce a state of being or a result that exists into the present. In those texts, they read, I have given you authority. And so there's a difference, meaning he gave it to them before and they continue to have it still. I hope not to confuse any of you here. I hope you're still tracking. Please nod your head if you're still tracking a little bit with me. Okay, good. All right. I think it kind of depends on how you view the first part from verse 18 as to which verb tense is best here. As you look at the two different options, you can kind of pair them together with each other. If you think that Jesus is affirming the disciples and telling them how their casting out of demons was playing a part in the fall of Satan's power, it would seem that the present tense in verse 19 fits best as if to affirm even more. Yes, I saw Satan falling from heaven as you went out. And now, behold, I give you authority to tread over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. You know, this idea of I'm giving you even more, possibly. However, if you think that Jesus is warning the disciples, it would seem to suggest that the perfect tense is best suited. As if to warn, you know, hey, I saw Satan fall from heaven when he got prideful. Don't let that happen to you. Remember that I was the one that gave you the power you now have in the first place. It wasn't because of you, but because of me working in and through you. So don't get prideful. That power you have is something I gave you. It's not of you. And so we see how the different translations can kind of match together with the different verb tenses. Okay? Which one is it? I can't say with 100% certainty. I will tell you that I do lean a little more towards the idea of this being a warning, that Jesus is warning these guys, hey, don't get too prideful. Yeah, the demons are subject to you, but you know that's awesome, that's great, but don't get too prideful. But I would not say that with 100% certainty. I can't from the discrepancies and the different variations of text. So I do think there are lessons that we can learn actually in both situations. We are engaged in a spiritual battle, and we... When we take a stand for the Lord and we step up to be used by him, we are having a positive impact upon the kingdom of God. And we are negatively impacting Satan's kingdom of darkness. And on the other hand, we do need to protect ourselves from becoming prideful or thinking that we're something special if and when the Lord does use us. We need to remain humble and remember that anything good in us is something that was given to us from the Lord. And so he's the only one that should receive any praise or any glory when God does something amazing through us, okay? If God does choose to use us, be reminded of what it says in 1 Corinthians 26, that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, okay? The base to overcome the mighty, and, and uh, it's not about us, okay? God does that so that no flesh would glory in his presence. Moving along, we get to the heart of this section. Jesus states, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus wants them to realign their focus here. The 70 returned excited and filled with joy because the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name, but Jesus draws their attention to an even greater joy. Yes, there is joy in serving God and being used by God, but there is an even greater joy in knowing that our names are written in heaven that we have our names written in the Lamb's book of life, that our sins have been forgiven and we are destined to spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. Okay, that is a far greater reason to rejoice and to be filled with joy. We are headed for heaven. Okay? And that ought to make us all very joyful. 
Our sins have been forgiven. Nothing can take that away from us. That is reason to rejoice. That is reason to be filled with joy. You know, you see the problem here is that the disciples were rejoicing in what they were able to do for the Lord. The church family, let me tell you something. It is far better to rejoice in what the Lord has done for us. It's okay to be excited and to have joy in serving the Lord and being used by God, but that should never trump our joy in what God has done for us in forgiving us our sins and washing us clean and securing our place in heaven. And there's another problem here. Another problem is that when we rejoice over what we do, our joy becomes attached to situations. Our joy becomes attached to really experience. Okay? And as believers in the Lord, our joy is not to be based upon experience and circumstance. Our joy needs to be rooted and secure in the Lord, no matter what the situation, no matter what comes our way. We want our joy to be in the Lord and in the salvation that we have through Him. Romans 15 speaks about how our joy is to be in the Lord. It is God who fills us with all joy and peace. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 states, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our joy, it needs to be based upon our standing and our relationship with the Lord, not based upon circumstances, not based upon experiences that come and go that are always changing, but upon the unchanging nature of God and His promises to us. We are to joy in the relationship we have with the Lord in the fact that our names are written in heaven in the fact that we have been saved from the penalty of our sins. That is something we can always rejoice in, something we can always take great joy in no matter what life brings our way. Whether we say, uh, you know, put it in the category good or bad or whatever, it just is all God, okay? We don't, whatever's happening, we can always have joy. In the Lord. Well, I said there were going to be four sections that we would cover. We've already looked at the 70 and the joy in their service in verse 17, and the joy in their salvation in verses 18 through 20. Let's take a look at the next section dealing with the joy in the Spirit in verses 21 and 22. It says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. We'll stop right there. Here in these verses, we read of Jesus rejoicing in the Spirit. Now, the word rejoice in verse 21 is actually a different Greek word than the word translated as rejoice in verse 20 that we just read. This particular Greek word is a stronger word than mere rejoicing. It carries with it the idea of leaping for joy, okay, to have excessive or ecstatic joy and delight. Often this word is actually associated with outbursts of singing and exaltation. Jesus was beyond filled with joy. He was overflowing with joy. He was overjoyed in the Spirit, better yet, in the work of the Spirit through the Holy Spirit. We know from Scripture that the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to testify of the truth of Jesus and to lead people to Jesus. 
Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. John chapter 15 verse 26 tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will come from the Father and will testify of Jesus. He will glorify me, Jesus said, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and in the Spirit's work in revealing the truth about Jesus to these 70 disciples. And Jesus thanked the Father, who is Lord of heaven and earth, that he had hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. And he acknowledges that this is part of God's good plan. Okay, it seemed good in God's sight to work this way. Now, please understand something here, what's being said by Jesus when he is rejoicing in the Spirit. Jesus is not saying that he's glad sinners were being blinded from the truth. And we know God's heart is that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. What Jesus is saying here is that he is overjoyed and rejoicing in the fact that the truth about him had not been reserved for those with great natural abilities or those who came from higher education. The ability to know God wasn't only for the elite, okay, for the prudent and the wise, but God revealed it to the lowly to the babes, to the humble. And this is so very important because we know that we are all saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. Okay, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we know our salvation, it comes by grace. And how does God decide to give grace? Well, James chapter 4, verse 6 tells us that God gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In God's grace, he decided to reveal the truth about Christ to, to babes, to the, the lowly, to the humble, to these 70 disciples who were nothing more than your ordinary guys off the streets, okay? Fishermen, okay? Probably farmers and construction workers, your, your everyday run-of-the-mill type of guy. This is who God revealed himself to and, and did a powerful work in and through. Now, in verse 22, Jesus turned to his disciples and he continued speaking. He said, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. The word know here is in the Greek is the word ginosko. It's different from another Greek word, oida, which simply means to have intuitive knowledge of something. Gnosko speaks of knowledge that is revealed and learned. It also carries with the idea of fellowship and intimacy, of a very close personal relationship and, and knowledge. Jesus affirms that no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son. You see, there is a unique bond and relationship between the Son and the Father. They know each other fully, completely. They share an intimate, personal relationship. In John 14, Jesus stated the following to Philip. When Philip asked Jesus to show him the Father, Jesus said, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does those works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. You see, the Father and the Son, they have this special relationship. And to know the Father means to know the Son, and to know the Son means to know the Father. And if you want to know the Father, to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him, you first must know the Son. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to know the Father, to have a deep, personal, intimate relationship with the Father is through the Son. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. And that is why Jesus declared at the end of verse 22 that no one knows who the Father is except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. The only way to know the Father is if you go through the Son. It is Jesus Christ who reveals the Father to us. And as you kind of just draw back a little bit here and look at this section as a whole, we see here the beautiful relationship and the work of all three members of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit at work in bringing us into a personal and intimate relationship with the Lord. We are all sinners separated from the Father because of our sin. God the Father is holy and just. He cannot allow sin into His presence, but He longs to be with us, and He longs to have a relationship with us. And so the Father sent the Spirit to reveal to us His Son, Jesus Christ, and our need for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, acknowledging our need for forgiveness and placing our faith in Jesus to be our Savior, then Jesus, the Son of God, reveals to us the Father and brings us into this close, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. Listen, Christianity isn't about following a religion. It is about developing a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. That is only possible through placing our hope and our faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, and His completed work upon the cross of Calvary. His work on the cross paid the price for our sins, and through faith in that work, we can be forgiven. Our sins can be removed once and for all, and we can be brought into a personal, intimate relationship with the Father. How awesome is that, okay? That is awesome. That is amazing that God would make a way for us to come to Him and have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. The God of this entire universe, who spoke this universe into existence, wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with you, and He made a way for it to happen. That is awesome. That is amazing. Praise God. What an amazing God we serve. Well, we have one final section to cover. Let's take a quick look at it and see what else the Lord has for us. Verse 23 and 24. It says, Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. We've noted the 70 and the joy in their service and the joy in their salvation. We've also seen Jesus and his joy in the Spirit. Finally, we see here the joy in the Son the joy in the sun. Jesus turned to his disciples privately, spoke of the special favor upon them. They were blessed to see and to hear things that kings and prophets had desired greatly to see and hear, but they were not permitted to. And what was it that they got to see and hear? It was the sun. It was the coming of the long-awaited prophesied Messiah. 
Kings and prophets of the Old Testament spoke of the coming Messiah. They wrote books about him, but they did not fully understand all the details of what they wrote about. They looked forward to his coming and they longed to see the day and how he would fulfill all these things written and spoken of him. Peter actually wrote a little bit about this in his first epistle. He wrote about the revelation of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings. And he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, the following. He says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching wider what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You see, the Old Testament prophets, they were filled with the Spirit of Christ as they prophesied, and they wondered when these things would be. When would the Messiah come? When would this grace appear? What would this grace be like? They didn't know exactly, but they searched it out diligently, desiring to see, desiring to hear all that the Christ would say and do. Peter even mentions later on at the end of verse 12 how angels themselves even desired to look into these things, not knowing the full extent of God's plan. And here these disciples were, able to see and hear what kings and prophets and angels alike all long to see and hear. Kings like David and Josiah and and Hezekiah, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, okay? They all knew of the coming of the Messiah. They all longed for his day. And these disciples, These are the ones blessed with being able to see the fruition of God's rescue plan through the Son, through the Messiah. They were blessed indeed. That word blessed, it actually carries with it the idea of divine favor, being marked by fullness from God. It's similar similar to the word joy as both describe something far greater than mere happiness. See, being happy is rooted in and based upon really luck. And the word happy is rooted in the word hap, which means luck as in a favorable circumstance. But being blessed is not based upon circumstance. Being blessed is a fullness that comes from God and not from our circumstances. You know, we can look at this text and maybe feel a bit bummed out too, like maybe some of these other prophets and kings, right? Maybe we feel like we missed it as well. And Man, how awesome would it have been to be able to be alive uh, during the days of Jesus, to see the Messiah, right? How cool would it have been to be alive during the days of Jesus, to hear him teach, to, to see him perform miracles, to see him heal the sick and cast out demons, to be able to follow him and, and to serve alongside him. I mean, how awesome would that be, right? That would be a blessing, wouldn't it? And it's like, I do that sometimes. I think, man, how cool would it have been? to live during the days of Jesus and to see all that he was able to do, to hear him preach with authority, to hear him teach through the scriptures. Let me share with you something you may not realize. We have God's recorded word for us right here. We can hear his word And we can open our Bibles and we can read his words in red, okay? We can see and know the works that he did as they have been recorded for us here in God's record book. 
And listen, we can still follow him. And we can still come alongside him and serve him as we minister to those around us. And the blessing they had, it was great. Let me share with you what Jesus said about blessings available to us. Jesus said to Thomas, one of his disciples, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Yes, the disciples were blessed, (laughs) but not any more than what we are. We can have that same blessing. We can have that same fullness that comes from God and not our circumstances if we will believe upon the Son, placing our hope and faith in Him as Lord and Savior of our lives. That blessing is available to us. So don't look at them and think, oh, how awesome it would be to be them. Hey, the same opportunity is available to each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the joy that we have in you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we have joy in serving you, Lord. And it is exciting to be used by you and to see you do things, to impact uh, lives for your kingdom. But Lord, even greater than that is the joy of knowing that our names are written in heaven. The joy of knowing our salvation is secure in you and in the work that you've done for us. And Lord, I don't know everybody that's here. We've got some new people here this morning. I think I know a lot of people here. I I think I know where they're at with you, Lord. But Lord, I don't know if there are any here that need to experience what it's like to have the joy of salvation, to know what it's like to have their name written in heaven, to know their sins are forgiven, to know that they can have a personal, intimate relationship with you. And Father, I don't know if your spirit is working in the hearts and lives of any of these people here this morning, but I want to give them opportunity to respond if that be the case. And so, Lord, as we are here praying and asking for your guidance and your blessings, Lord, I want to just ask if there's any here that need to get right with you, Lord, if there's any here that need to know 100% sure that their names are written in heaven, Lord, and there are any here that need to know the joy of salvation, Lord, I pray that if there are any here, Lord, that they would raise their hand up nice and high right now, that I might pray for them. Lord, are there any here? I would say, today's the day I need to give my life to the Lord and surrender to Him and place my faith in Him as Lord and Savior. Lord, if there's any, I pray that you'd move on their heart. Amen. Lord, I do pray for these here gathered that they would know You and that they would know the joy of their salvation that they would walk in the joy of the Lord day in and day out, regardless of circumstance, regardless of situations and experiences that we go through, Lord, that we would be overjoyed knowing that our life here is just but a vapor. 
and eternity awaits us in your presence. Lead us and guide us by your Spirit. Empower us by your Spirit to be ambassadors for you in this world. May we live in the joy of the Lord. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.